Hello, everyone. Welcome once again to another great edition of Driving the Deal. I'm Brian Fortune for the Farragut Square Group. And as always with me is our excellent partner in Chicago, Chris Whirling. Welcome back, Chris. Hey, Brian. Good to be together again. Enjoyed being with you in sunny Miami recently. Neither of us take a tan very well but it was great to get a little vitamin D on the skin as well as see some of our clients and colleagues and in the healthcare deal ecosystem. No, that's right. I smartly did all my meetings in the shade. Those of you who know Helen Marsh on our team know that she's also another fair-skinned redhead. So that worked out well for both of us. No lobster burns, but uh, what a great time. I think a lot of people in the audience may have been out there. If not, you missed another networking event for the ages. So about 1,350 attendees showed up and it was great to catch up on everybody. And and that's our episode for today. We're going to just go through some of our key takeaways from having everyone together sharing ideas in a sunny place. So why don't we kick off? Chris, you know, I know you were on a couple of panels. So what were kind of your key takeaways about people's attitudes toward the deal market this year? Yeah, I had the opportunity to moderate a panel that talked about actually getting deals closed over the last quarter or two. And we had some great panelists from Lee Equity, Amulet Cap, Capital Partners, SV Health Investors, all of whom have soldiered through and been able to close deals in the last few quarters, but despite some of the the headwinds. The theme from that panel really was patience in that it takes a little additional time to line up the lending, take a larger lender syndicate. And the other theme was creativity, really. People looking at different structures to do the deal, some growth equity investments that may be structured as minority deals that don't require debt that we may have used on a similar transaction a year or two prior. And the other theme really was buildups. And it's a little bit harder because of the lack of what we call DDTL capacity, where many of the practice management buildups, roll-ups, if you will, over the last few years were really driven by the availability of lender DDTL capacity, which DDTL stands for Delayed Draw Term Loan, which is basically a commitment up front from a lender to loan an additional amount of money in the future to a platform company. And in this environment, lenders are not as comfortable extending large delayed draw term loans. And so it makes it a little harder to plan for you're doing those roll-up strategies with, with a debt facility. But a lot of our clients are talking about starting with equity and building something of scale because here in the healthcare market that we operate in, it's still just dramatically unconsolidated. So there's a lot of opportunity for really new entity formation across the spectrum of different specialties, both practice management, pharma services, alternate sites, surgical and infusion. So there's a lot of ability to just form new companies that will be the large players of the future. And those that have been in the healthcare market for many years are not afraid to use equity to fund those initial formations and initial years uh, building those platforms. No, that's right. That's kind of a theme we've been hearing since last fall was lower leverage exposure, higher equity, Combine that with post-credit market going sideways last year, starting to see kind of a reset, maybe a narrowing of that gap between like buyer-seller expectations on the bid-ask. So Absolutely. So I, I was really amazed at the diversity of different subspecialties within healthcare that everyone is looking at these days. Brian, what were some of the things that you heard investors talking about? It's going to be an interesting year, I think, probably on the back half. I mean, not surprisingly right now, people are doing a lot of add-ons, we've been doing a lot of smaller deals and 
general, you know, obviously dental has been very, very hot. But in terms of bigger things and searching out your A set assets, a lot of interest in infusion, particularly with the Katayan's ambulatory infusion centers that keeps us very busy. Cardiology, also a lot of interest there. I certainly think we're going to see a lot of activity in the ophthalmology space. You know, there's a lot of different, either they're focused on surgery or even some of the retinal groups. Looks like a lot of them will be back on market. Some of them I think already are. There's at least one or two that, that are out there. And a lot of interest in home care, personal services, not so much on the skilled Medicare side right now, but I expect that will probably change as people go forward with the payment system reset. And of course, you know, after 10 years of a home health bull market, I think you needed a, a bit of a reset in terms of multiple expectations. A lot of interest in payer services, not surprisingly. I think there's a lot of different providers in the payer services universe. It's a pretty broad umbrella. I'm kind of riffing on different topics that come up a lot with us. Behavioral always keeps us busy. Maybe not so much on autism this year, but I think we may see still a lot of interest in, in different substance abuse plays as well as just pure outpatient behavioral services and maybe even a little inpatient as well. But it's a space where thematically, I think you're still going to see a lot of groundswell for the next decade. Finally, on the bigger side, I expect we'll see some more uh, orthopedic activity uh, as we head into the summer and the back half of the year. So could be very busy. You know, right now people are trying to get all their ducks lined up. And then obviously as you kicked off the call, we've got to figure out how many people need to be in a deal to make it happen these days and how to structure it. But we're still in the deal market and deals still need to get done. So that's kind of the golden rule. Yeah, I saw a lot of the same subsectors that people are interested in. I will say just intense focus on value-based care as an investment opportunity. Oh, good point. Really the continued growth of Medicare Advantage and the continued push of private payers into value-based care and risk-shifting models with providers is an opportunity that health private equity investors are very focused on right now. And it's interesting, there's many different ways to invest in that market. The obvious one is to buy a practice and convert it to value-based care, but there's many other ways too. There's different IPA type models and networking models that are taking risk. There are consulting groups that are advising to practices and payers on risk-based models. There's software plays in this space yep. as well. So it's a really interesting time in value-based care. And you see that from the large players with the recent acquisitions of some of the CVS Aetnas and Optums, but you're seeing it just as much in the lower middle market and the middle market of the healthcare deal space as well. Yeah, it's fertile space. And I think, you know, the VBC as it relates to kind of primary care groups and Medicare Advantage, still an area that keeps us pretty active. There's definitely a VBC tie-in to the orthopedic space that I think is fascinating. You know, we talk to clients a lot about VBC and obviously some spaces are very, very ripe for this. Others, I think the payers are still interested in the idea of it, but they're trying to figure out how we move from early days to something that, you know, has a little more meat to chew on. But there's no doubt with Medicare Advantage, you know, we'll, we'll see how the numbers work out, but obviously CMS projecting that MA will be a about 53% of Medicare enrollee lives this year. So it is a it is a managed care future, whether you're looking at Medicaid, which is about 80% lives under management, or you know, MA now topping one out of every two. That holds a lot of promise. I mean, honestly, that to me, that holds more promise than peril in the sense that if you educate yourself and you are get some sophistication in how to contract, a lot of those, you know, those contracts can move fast. They can revisit them on an annual basis rather than a 
some of the CMS demonstration routes where, you know, you're sort of locked into something for multi-year patterns, whether you like it or not. Uh, Brian, you mentioned earlier behavioral. That is an area that we continue to see a ton of activity, even with there now being Optum is very active after the acquisition of Refresh, LifeStance, obviously publicly traded TPG portfolio company. But it's just, as I mentioned earlier, such an unconsolidated market that there's a lot of opportunity up and down in basic social work practices on up to your more complex therapeutic modalities. And we see a lot of investors looking at how they can play in that area. It's something we're watching as the public health emergency comes to an end and there's some less flexibility on prescribing through digital and telehealth means. But even with some possible model shifts that are being caused by that, we still see a ton of investor interest in that space. I think that's going to continue for a while. I mean, there's still quite some time it's going to be a pretty large gap between demand and supply. And that is a tricky part of the deal, right? If you are looking at different geographies, I mean, whether you're talking autism or substance abuse or, or just other types of behavioral services, you know, there is always the question of calibrating the, the growth expectation to the projected uh, supply of qualified clinicians, I think is going to be an important yeah. factor. Absolutely. So Brian, what were you hearing about timing of the markets this year? What you heard during the first part of the conference, and then we can talk a little bit about after Silicon Valley Bank news hit. Right. You go back to JP Morgan in January. One thing that came from you know a lot of our friends in the banking world was that the beginning of the year would start out pretty slowly. But when you talk to people about their expectations for when things would start to heat up, the, the sort of modal point, a lot of people came around and, and said, probably about May, things will heat up. It might be a little earlier than that. I mean, just going by our own, just our own call log with our clients, we've been kind of wall to wall for the last five weeks or so. So now there's people starting to get books landing on their desks. So the pickup might come a little earlier than May, but that's not unrealistic. It's probably important to think about it in the following context. J.B. Morgan usually produces a lull of about five, six weeks afterward because, you know, people go out there, they have an unholy number of meetings, and then you need time to process that. You need time to internalize it, get together with your team, kind of lay out your investment theses for the year. And it takes a while before you're ready to kind of pull the trigger on actively hunting things. So, you know, when you think about May in that context, I mean, we're a little shifted from what you'd call a normal year, but not by that much. A big question for you, Chris, is that we've got the news about SVB toward the end of of our week in Miami. How does that affect the psychology of the market? And does it have a material impact on how the deal flow is going to flow out? Yeah, well, it really was terrible news that came out then on Thursday, Friday, kind of took us down from the high of the conference where everyone was excited. Actually, the week of the conference was one of the larger, we saw one of the larger total volume of leveraged buyouts announced. There was a couple of very large software LBOs that were over $10 billion. So it seemed like we maybe were at a pivot point for the leveraged buyout market to come back. And then the word on Silicon Valley Bank came out. And then the subsequent weekend, we've had the Credit Suisse rescue by UBS. And those two issues and the ongoing regional banking questions, they're definitely going to have an impact on the market this year. And the impact is twofold. First, Silicon Valley Bank was a very private equity friendly institution. And a lot of our clients had their fund lines with Silicon Valley Bank, and that was based on their customer service and their willingness to take on that line of business, which a lot of other banks are not in. Fund lines are simply lines of credit that a private equity fund has that can allow them to quickly get cash to close a deal without having to call equity from their LPs. They can 
kind of call the equity on the back end. So it's a convenience thing in large part, but important to kind of keep the market moving. And without Silicon Valley Bank, which was one of the largest players in that, it'll kind of have an impact on funds going forward. I'm sure others will step into the space, but it will take a little bit of time. And then the second is the more indirect impact. The inevitable result of the banking issues is that the banks themselves will be conserving cash and are not going to be aggressively putting dollars out the door to fund loans. So we do think the lending market's going to pull back a little bit. Now, we have a ton of private debt providers in the market. They'll continue lending, but without banks to keep them true on terms and compete with them a little bit, some of the terms that we see over the coming few months may not be as attractive as our, our private equity clients want them to be. So I do think, and we just had a large internal discussion with our private equity and, and our debt teams here at McDermott. And we do think that the bank concerns are fairly isolated. Each one of these banks that has had trouble over the last few weeks had a different, unique story as to why they were troubled. But, you know, the old adage is that to fight inflation, the Fed will raise rates until something breaks. And that's what happened. We had the rate raises were had an impact on all of these banks that we saw go down in different ways. And my prediction, yes, just yesterday, we saw the Fed come out with just a quarter point raise. They'll start to ease up on those raises on interest rates, and hopefully things will normalize this year. Of course, we don't know the overall direction it'll go, but some of that easing up will help bring back some of the lending in this space is our hope. Yeah, obviously, people are recalibrating their expectations of what the new normal is. But yeah, and I think, Brian, we're blessed to be in the healthcare space because it's something that investors do see, like we were talking about earlier, you see a lot of new platform formation in times like these, where we can take some equity, put it to work with some entrepreneurs and a couple existing assets and start to build the platforms of the future. I think we're going to just, this is going to hopefully create some great new service providers, new companies in the industry. And it's something where within healthcare, we also see demand from non-traditional healthcare investors. So people see healthcare as a market where demand continues even during uh, challenging economic times. So we are privileged to be working with some investors that have not historically spent a lot of time investing in healthcare and are coming into this market. So that will keep you and I busy, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm reminded of 2009, where you know, obviously for the first couple of quarters, there was a big lull on all activity. But then, you know, similar to 2020, you know, in the back half of the year, people still had to face the reality that deals have to happen. So find a good one and put your money down. So one feature of this year in Miami was we definitely had a full day dedicated to company management. There were a lot of different management teams out there that thought they might sell in the coming year. And was the takeaway that this is a good year to sell or is it a good year to just dig in and expand organically? The theme from the company owners that were in attendance was optimistic. So they were really positive about how they've been able to grow through some of the challenges of the last few years, labor challenges, supply challenges, they are looking for capital providers to partner with to continue that growth. So they're less focused on, hey, is the timing perfect? Can I maximize the dollars in my pocket? And then they were focused on really, how can I get the capital needed to keep expanding in, in this business? So overall, healthcare entrepreneurs are a unique set. And that came through in their optimism about the timing this year. 
That's great. Thanks, Chris. Those, that was an excellent perspective. All right, everybody, that brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you, as always, for listening. A few quick announcements. Obviously, April 11th through 13th, I know we will be seeing uh, a lot of you in Nashville for our ASC Physician Practice Management Forum on the 11th and 12th. Obviously, a, a number of PPMs came up today and, and areas where we think there's a lot of interest that will be hot. That promises to be another great two days. And also, value-based care, another big theme this year. We will be having our first one-day value-based care forum on the 13th, also in Nashville. So those two dovetail nicely together. And then lastly, stay tuned on the podcast. We will be doing a number of episodes, breaking down some different areas of interest. One of those coming up is we'll be doing a multi-part series on the behavioral landscape with some of our knowledgeable friends in that world. And that promises to be a great use of time. So have a great week, everybody. Thanks again for joining us. And we will talk to you again soon. This material is for general information purposes only. It should not be construed as legal advice or any other advice on any specific facts or circumstances. No one should act or refrain from acting based upon any information herein without seeking professional legal advice. McDermott, Will & Emery makes no warranties, representations, or claims of any kind concerning the content herein. McDermott and the contributing presenters or authors expressly disclaim all liability to any person in respect of consequences of anything done or not done in reliance upon the use of contents included herein. Copyright 2022, McDermott, Will & Emery. All rights reserved. Any use of these materials, including reproduction, modification, distribution, or republication, without the prior written consent of McDermott is strictly prohibited. This may be considered attorney advertising. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome.